calamity, out of distress, and we're going to be looking at a passage in which that is the case, 2 Samuel chapter 1, and it's uh, David's lament over the fall of Saul and his best friend Jonathan. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 17 through 27. Then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, For the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that as we look at it, that uh, our lives uh, would be the richer and the stronger and the more glorifying of your name through it. We ask for your favor in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. I think most scholars agree that this poem is one of the most poignant laments that you will find in the scripture, and the bittersweet character of this poem makes it so appropriate for the day that we are living in. Uh, There are a lot of people who have become cynical about Memorial Day because America has been involved in so much uh, empire building and centralization of power, been involved in so many ungodly wars that some people wonder if we ought to just leave behind the honoring of the dead, what honorable wars are there anyway is the attitude that they have. And David in this passage would indicate to us we ought not to have that attitude. Uh, David honored these soldiers even though some of them had fought against him. Uh, I've uh, never preached on Memorial Day before, but I thought given the circumstances in our nation, it's probably time that I did so. Uh, I think our kids need real heroes to look up to. Memorial Day is a day in which we can say how the mighty have fallen. It's a time in which we can honor the dead who have given their lives to defend our nation. It's a time to pray that we would have mighty men on our own day and age. Uh, It's a time to reflect on all that's been lost, and it's a time to recommit ourselves to regaining the liberties that have been lost in our nation as well. And I'm not going to go through every verse this morning. Instead, I'm just going to be pulling principles from these passages and then applying them in our lives. And the first thing that I want to point out is that David's Memorial Day occurred during a time of great spiritual declension, much like we are experiencing today. Uh, it, um, 
didn't begin right away in Saul's reign. Saul's reign began rather good, but uh, by the time that David came along, he had become so paranoid that he began, in order to protect his own hide, began instituting various laws that were tyrannical. Uh, He really saw David as a threat and uh, sought to eliminate David. David had to flee from the country. Uh, It led Saul to disarm the population. Even soldiers had to turn in their weapons when they went home. It was really crazy. Um, It led neighbors to spy on each other in order to curry the king's favor. This was one of the reasons why Samuel was really nervous when God told him to go anoint David. Uh, Even though he knew the anointing was going to be done in secret, uh, he worried that somehow Saul would find out and he might get killed. Now, for a preacher like Samuel to fear for his life shows that things had gotten really bad uh, in Israel. The Ziphites and others spied on David in order to gain favor with the king. So there was political corruption amongst the elite, but the people put up with it. Uh, why would people tolerate the kind of tyranny that is documented in 1 Samuel uh, all the way through the book of 1 Samuel? Well, we've got two hints in this poem. First, Saul was an amazing administrator, an amazing king, and an amazing soldier. During his seven major wars, not battles, but major wars, he was, seems like he was in war throughout most of his 40 years, He proved himself to be a tremendous and very capable uh, commander, and he captivated the hearts of the people. It was hard for people not to admire him. First Samuel tells us he had charm, wisdom, valor in battle, even good looks. Um, First Samuel 9.2 tells us about his looks. It says, There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. He commanded respect, and the people loved him. And if you don't think they loved him, take a look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in our own American history, we've had presidents who have gotten away with a lot because of their charm and and, uh, their heroism and their courage. I mean, they've had good characteristics. And so that's one of the reasons these people put up with the tyranny there. There was a lot to admire, even though there were weaknesses in Saul. The second hint is in verse 24. Paul made everybody uh, happy. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. He was a popular king because he made the kind of economic decisions that uh, put money into the pockets of people. There was obviously a lot of bailouts that was going on from the uh, plunder that came from the Philistines, and probably it was appropriate kind of uh, plunder that that came from the uh, Philistines, but the citizens were easily pleased. And yet, for the troubles that were there, David was able to have a memorial day to honor what was still worth honoring. In verses 1 through 16, which we really won't look at, you get another glimpse at how people on every level seemed to be intent on what they could get out of the government. Uh, This Amalekite comes to David. He lies about Saul, hoping that he's going to get some money, he's going to get some glory and honor from uh, David. Apparently, this is the way things worked up to that point, and you can see it worked with Saul. Uh, Doeg the Edomite is another foreigner who got uh, riches from Saul through that. But uh, David was not a person who played political games like that. David longed for his country to be God-centered, law-abiding, committed to liberty. 
And part of the purpose of this poem was to lament the disasters that had come to Israel precisely because Israel deserved those disasters. It was a memory of better times. And I think we can do the same thing. It's, it, it's sometimes hard to remember the past, uh, the glorious past in America, without getting discouraged over what's going on in Washington, D.C. today. Uh, I have a hard time reading Memorial Day readings, some of which are very exciting, you know, without shaking my head at how far our nation has fallen. And yet it is precisely a recounting of history from the past that can wake us up to what we are losing, that can perhaps bring our nation to repentance. Uh, If you look at uh, America's previous wars, you'll notice that uh, there are often many revivals that were associated with them. I'm not going to deal with that, but you could do a providential history sometime on how God even used uh, wars to chasten His people and to bring many revivals. The second thing that I see in David's Memorial Day is that David was trying to find hidden honor in Israel's mighty men. Verse 17, Then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Now I can understand why David would lament over Jonathan because he was his best friend. Uh, He dearly loved Jonathan. But to say so many nice things about Saul used to seem really strange to me. I had a hard time identifying uh, with this poem. But take a look at it. He describes Saul and Jonathan in verse 19 as the beauty of Israel. He celebrates the past victories of Saul in verse 22. And if you look at Saul's history, he actually did prove to be a tremendous defender of Israel from outside uh, enemies. Uh, Had seven major wars in his 40 years. Marvelous job as a commander. Now the point is that David didn't disagree with everything that Paul stood for. Uh, Verse 23 gives an astonishing tribute to, to, to Saul. So Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. So there must have been something that was attractive to even David. After David had been so persecuted by Saul, there was still something that he was very attracted to in in Saul. And what David is doing is he's looking for some of the honor that was hidden in Saul's life. And we can do the same with the heroes in America's past. Uh, We don't celebrate their lives simply because they're good men. Many of them were not good men. But many of them laid down their lives for our country and that in itself deserves thanks. But in the process of fighting for our nation, some of these people, there were good characteristics that came out of them that can be emulated by us. And we ought to remember them even though they were stained in many ways in the things that they did. Now, we can't be so purist that we don't celebrate the heroes of the past simply because they got stains in their lives. And I know people that way. Because there is bad things that somebody stood for, they just won't acknowledge anything good about those people. Uh, Jesus is the only one who is unstained. Now, David's description of both Saul and Jonathan in verse 23 is, I think, a, a tribute that any soldier could appreciate. He said, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. That's sort of like a band of soldiers. There's loyalty and honor and dedication and devotion. Uh, or as the army says, duty, honor, and courage. And he goes on to say, uh, duty, honor, country, I think is what it says. 
he went on to say they were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. I mean, this is the stuff that heroes uh, are kind of described as, right? And like General Robert E. Lee, David was able to recognize and honor heroism on both sides of the battlefield, even amongst his opponents. In fact, if you keep reading the next two chapters, what you're going to find is that David honors yet another general from the other side. It was uh, General Abner, uh, who really was a mighty man. And so David on this day, he's about to secede with the southern tribes, and he knows he's about to secede with them. And uh, he does so because he has a hard time respecting uh, the fact that the nation is not honoring God's law. And so it's not as if he's ignoring the evil that is out there. He secedes. He does not ignore it. He doesn't agree with everything that's going on. But he still learned how to respect what was respectable and even his enemies. Now, when I used to read the histories of the War of Northern Aggression, uh, my heart wanted to paint everybody in the north as black and everybody in the south as being good guys. And I knew I couldn't do that. But your heart does tend to take sides on things like that. And I realized that both the North and the South had good guys. They both had heroes. They both had bad men. They both had sin uh, in their lives as well. And um, David was a, a great enough to recognize heroism on both sides. This Memorial Day, I challenge you to have the great-heartedness to recognize valor, courage, honor, love, and other virtues in people who have laid down their lives in every American war. Uh, you need to remember this battle that Saul died in was a battle in which David was planning. He was all prepared, was marching out. He was going to fight against Saul, and uh, God providentially hindered him. So it wasn't as if Saul was a, a close buddy to him. No, he was an enemy, and yet he respected things in his life, just like uh, Robert E. Lee was able to do with uh, those on the other side. Now, the third thing I see is that David's Memorial Day was a recounting of providential history, especially providential history of warfare. Take a look at verse 18. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. Now, the book of Jasher is recorded all the way back in Joshua chapter 10, verse 13. And it's basically a providential history of all of the wars that Israel had engaged in right from the beginning of the nation all the way up through the time of David. And what David's doing, he's breaking out this book and he's thinking about war and he's adding in something more uh, into this providential history of war. Some people hate studying war. They hate reading anything about it because it makes them sad and they don't want to feel sad. Other people are too preoccupied with war, but I do challenge you to be a Jasherite, a person who studies providential history of war. There's a lot we can learn from it. And I think we need to get used to seeing God's hand as orchestrating the affairs of a nation, guiding and directing that nation, both for discipline as well as for blessing and pr protection. Uh, in the next few years, Israel was going to be going through a disastrous civil war with the southern tribes seceding. And at least part of the previous 40 years have been a disastrous period of tyranny. And yet both of those things were leading Israel to appreciate the liberties that David was going to give to them. Sometimes things have to get worse before that they can uh, get uh, better. And so looking at history gives us perspective that can keep us from not giving up. 
you know, keep us from giving up, I guess is the way to phrase it. Uh, it can give us a goal to shoot towards. It can put fire into our bones to, to, to hate tyranny, and we really ought to hate tyranny. It can make us weep over the sins of our nation. And I just encourage you to look at the wars of our nation through a providential lens. Make your own book of Jasher. It's not like it was an inspired book. Make your own book of Jasher. Collect poems and other writings that can, you can pass on to your kids a biblical perspective of the history of uh, this great nation. It doesn't have to be sappy and sentimental, but do remember your history. It's part of your heritage that God has given to you. Now, the fourth thing I notice is in verse 20. It says, Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Those were the main cities of their enemies, the Philistines. And why does he say not to do that? He says, Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. David doesn't want the news of this to be used by the enemies against Israel. And this is the, the thing that saddens me so much about uh, America's media. It has been destroying America and compromising America. The media has given all kinds of fodder for the enemies to hate America more than it already hates America. And this is a sad thing, really. Uh, they don't need their own propaganda machines. All they have to look is at the media in America. Uh, it makes the internal and the external enemies of our country bold so that even female gossips are strong enough to topple the nation. I think that's what David is saying here. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. See, that's the power of talk. The talkers could triumph in some way. So let's not hate our country with our speech. Let's restore it. The fifth thing that David's Memorial Day reflected on was what had been lost in that nation. Three times he says, how the mighty have fallen. And verse 27 adds, and the weapons of war perished. There were huge losses. Some had uh, fallen through death. Some had fallen uh, through the shame of cowardice. They had fled. Some had fallen through discouragement. The nation itself had fallen, and it would not be the same uh, for many a year. I saw a chart of the total number of deaths in America from the 45 wars that America's been involved in, and it really is uh, staggering. Just the Civil War alone, let me get the figure here, 625,000 uh, dead. Now, that was the biggest uh, loss by far. I didn't even realize we'd been involved in 45 uh, uh, wars. But uh, we have, and America has lost a lot through that, some for noble causes and some for shameful causes. But you add to that the millions of babies that have been killed in our nation, and we have something to weep over because our nation has been fighting against parts of our nation. Uh, the whole nation was called to weep in verses 17 through 18. Daughters of Israel were called to weep in verse 24, the uh, the, the whole poem itself is called a lamentation. And what this means to me is that we need to learn how to weep over our losses in a godly way. There is a place for weeping. And I think restoration comes through learning to weep in a godly way. There have been many liberties lost in America. Uh, our Constitution is practically, for all purposes, lost. And this poem calls us to not just weep about that, 
Uh, weeping by itself does not accomplish anything unless it's motivating us to do something. And this lament was motivating David to do something to restore what had been lost to Israel. Otherwise, all of his friends who have died in the battlefield have died for nothing. And so even though this is a call to weep, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it should be the kind of weeping that leads to renewed resolve rather than giving up. Let the mighty who have fallen in our nation motivate us to do something. The sixth thing that I see on David's Memorial Day was that he reflected on how ugly war is and how sad it made him that he had lost his loved ones. He was not a man who idealized war. He hated war. He hated bloodshed. He loved peace. As one man, maybe to paraphrase what he said, because I couldn't find the exact uh, quote, but uh, to paraphrase it, the best soldiers hate war, but the best soldiers are prepared to fight. It was something along those lines. David's reflections on how hateful, how hateful the results of this battle were can be seen in verses 21 through 22 where he wishes that Gilboa could be turned into a desert never to see the dew or the rain again rather than to see the needless loss of life uh, that was before him. I think it's pretty hard to read the accounts of the Second War for American independence, uh, what some people call the, the Civil War, without being saddened over it. It doesn't matter which side you, 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 you side with. It, it's saddening. Let me read David's lament and reflecting on the sadness of the loss of his loved ones. It's in verses 25 through 27. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. And it was because David hated war so much that he made such a good general and he made such a good king. He mourned every soldier that was lost. He didn't just treat them as cannon fodder. Oh, well, we'll send out a few more. We can spare plenty of soldiers. He didn't have that attitude at all. And the difference between the ferocious warrior David and some of the communists who have killed millions is that David hated war and he valued life, whereas Pol Pot and Stalin and other communists have idealized war and they have valued uh, death. There is a world of difference between the two. One thing that both General Sherman and General Robert E. Lee agreed on was that war is ugly. At the conclusion of a technical speech to military uh, cadets at Ohio State Fair in 1880, Sherman said, Boys, I've been where you are now and I know just how you feel. It's entirely natural that there should beat in the breast of every one of you a hope and desire that someday you can use the skill you have acquired here. Suppress it. You don't know the horrible aspects of war. I've been through two wars, and I know. I've seen cities and homes in ashes. I've seen thousands of men lying on the ground, their dead faces looking up at the skies. I tell you, war is hell. Now, of course, I would add that Sherman made that war hell because he abandoned godly principles of, of warfare. Sherman's uh, march of destruction at the end there far as I'm concerned, qualified him to be hung. But uh, anyway, even when you're following godly principles of war, you would still, uh, should not idealize war. General Robert E. Lee, in a letter to his wife, said, 
What a cruel thing is war to separate and destroy families and friends and mar the purest joys and happiness God has granted us in this world, to fill our hearts with hatred instead of love for our neighbors and to devastate the fair face of this beautiful world. Memorial Day gives us the time to reflect on how ugly war is. And we need that. We cannot treat war lightly. It gives us time to sorrow over those who have been lost in war, but it also helps give us the time to realize that the ugliness of war is absolutely essential sometimes to defend the liberties of a nation. John Stuart Mill spoke a very sobering truth when he wrote this. War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling which thinks that nothing is worth war is much worse. The person who has nothing for which he is willing to fight, nothing which is more important than his own personal safety, is a miserable creature and has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. So war is ugly, yes. But what is far more ugly is the stench of the apathy that we have all across America that is not willing to fight, not willing even to protest the tyranny and the things that have been lost in America in our own day. We need to be willing to fight and sacrifice for the same liberties as well as on this Memorial Day honoring those who have fought for the liberties we've enjoyed. I have just two more points that I want to make. The seventh point is that David's Memorial Day shows that David did not allow the hatred of Saul to make him hateful and bitter himself. Saul was just so terrible to David. But David did not allow himself to be overcome. By the way, Jonathan and Saul both shared this. Even though they were fighting on opposite sides of the battlefield, uh, Jonathan had the same kind of characteristics of forgiveness and tenderness and he did not grow bitter. Saul was not able to do that. Tribulation by itself does not produce patience. It has to be mixed with faith. Tribulation has produced some of the most bitter people out there. Uh, It wasn't just the South that had great examples of forgiveness and chivalry and tenderness. And it wasn't just the North that uh, produced examples of bitterness. And so lest you think I'm a blind Southern sympathizer, I'm going to give you a hero from the North. Uh, that you can meditate on. Think of the difference between the bitterness of Confederate General Jubal Early and the good-heartedness of Yankee Colonel Joshua Chamberlain of the 20th Maine. Uh, General Jubal Early of the Confederate Army, he was an attorney both before and after the war, but from Manassas to Appomattox, he was a bitter, hard, and hateful person. The war absolutely ruined him. And he remained bitter and hateful all the way through till his death in 1894. What a tragedy. In fact, I consider that to be more of a tragedy than if he had lost his life. When you guys become bitter over the things that you experience, that's far more of a tragedy than if you died. Now, in contrast... Joshua Chamberlain of the 20th Maine was a godly Christian Calvinist who showed a great balance of being a mighty warrior and still being tender. Uh, he had six horses shot out from under him. He'd just get right back up and uh, he'd, uh, he'd charge on. Uh, he really was a, a good soldier. And interestingly, he maintained a sweet spirit despite having his life compromised uh, numerous times, despite being seriously wounded six times. 
despite seeing frozen bodies of his comrades, just frozen into grotesque forms all around him, seeing his troops decimated uh, by the firing uh, of the Confederates. Uh, I, I just want to give a little bit of, a, of an account. Uh, he recounts the almost miraculous route that he achieved uh, with his decimated troops. It looked like the Confederates were going to overrun them. Uh, they only had hardly any, any ammo left, and so he decided our only hope is if we charge them with a bayonet charge. And they just willingly did that, uh, charged. And the last paragraph of his description of this particular battle says this, Ranks were broken. Some retired before us somewhat hastily. Some threw their muskets to the ground, even loaded. Sunk on their knees, threw up their hands, calling out, We surrender, don't kill us. As if we wanted to do that. We kill only to resist killing. And these were manly men whom we could befriend and by no means kill if they came our way in peace and goodwill. Now, if Sherman and some of the other northerners had had the same attitude that Chamberlain did in the aftermath of the war it might have produced reconciliation instead of the, the hatred that festers to this day. Uh, let me share one more story about Chamberlain. This one was from um, that I got off of a government uh, website. After the surrender terms were signed by General Lee on April 9, General Chamberlain was assigned the task of accepting the formal surrender of arms of the Army of Northern Virginia scheduled for April 12, 1865. It was a cool, wet day. Their lines formed on the road leading to Appomattox Courthouse. Chamberlain's division watched the tattered gray column trudge toward the village. Without hesitation, Chamberlain called his men to attention and saluted the Confederates as they approached. At the head of the Confederate column, a despondent <coughs> General John Gordon heard the shifting of weapons and recognized the honor. He rose in his saddle, reined in his horse, <coughs> and boldly returned the salute former enemies paid their respects to each other in this last act of the war in Virginia. And despite having every reason to be bitter and angry, he lost a lot of friends. He always showed goodwill under tribulation. One author affirmed <coughs> that Chamberlain remained tender-hearted, spiritual, unhardened, friendly, trusting God's providence all the way through his life. Now, here's the application I would make. When you are tempted to get bitter over the offenses of other people, when you're tempted to get bitter by the way people have handled you and treated you, I want you to remember David. And I want you to remember Colonel Chamberlain. Don't allow war and propaganda, conflict. Don't allow the way you've been treated to make you bitter. Don't allow your losses to make you bitter. For sure, don't allow Memorial Day to make you bitter. Sometimes you read some of the history from the North or the South, doesn't matter which side, and it's very easy for your heart to rile up with bitterness. Don't allow that to happen. One last point. David's Memorial Day prepared young men to imitate the best qualities in Saul and Jonathan and to be, aspire to be mighty men of valor. Again, verse 18, he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Now, what would those children of Israel learn by looking at this song? Well, boys would learn that there is a place for toughness. If you wanted David's praise and admiration, you better be tough. You better be like those mighty men of Israel. And so train your boys to be tough. 
verse 19, would teach them to value what is beautiful in others. And it would teach you to be tender. So not just tough, you've got to be tender and tough, both. And that's a hard balance. Verse 20 would teach them to know who their true enemies were. See, David really, as much as Saul fought against him, he did not consider Saul and Jonathan to be his true enemies. He saw the true enemies as being outside the church. And I think we can learn a lot from that. That's where his true enemies uh, lay. Let me just give you a list. I'm not going to go through and teach you on all of these, but let me give you a list that I've pulled from uh, from this song of character issues that this song would teach the children of Israel. It would teach the character issues of courage, forgiveness, love, loyalty, tactfulness, patience, kindness, self-control, the humility of David. And you, you look at David when he wrote this. What incredible humility that he shows. So it would teach humility, the nature of true friendship, Duty, self-sacrifice, confidence, enthusiasm, submission, trust, and selflessness. And most of those qualities could also be found in Jonathan. And a few of those qualities could also be found in Saul and could be imitated from his life. But the most important thing to learn is that every hero, except for Jesus, is stained. Is that not so? Every hero. When you are on this Memorial Day and you're looking at heroes... Don't turn them into perfect men. You dishonor them to do that. The only unstained, perfect hero is the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's the only one that can enable us to, as mighty men when we fall, to rise in the resurrection. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can find victory. Let me conclude by making a recommendation of how you can make this sermon good. I would encourage you to buy every issue of the biography series that uh, is edited by um, George Grant. He's the general editor, but every book is written by a different author. Uh, For example, Steve Wilkins wrote the biography on Robert E. Lee. It's called Call to Duty. George Grant wrote one on Teddy Roosevelt called Carry a Big Stick. Now, you might think of some of these guys as being bums. You've got to learn from them, just like David learned. Okay? Wilkins wrote another one, Stonewall Jackson, called All Things Good. Other biographies on Patrick Henry, George Washington, Winston Churchill, and others. And they're wonderfully, wonderfully laid out. The first half of the book is a beautifully written biography. Then the second half of the book goes through in short, short little chapters on all of the different character traits that we can learn from these people, the truths, the, the principles for life that we can learn from them. And I really encourage you guys uh, to pick those up. May we be a generation who honors the mighty men who have fallen from the past and passes on the good parts while leaving the bad parts. And I think we'll, uh, we'll do a major service to our children if we're willing to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the balance that it gives to us. Uh, It's so easy, Father, for us to become perfectionistic when we look and we take sides on various wars and various issues of the past, and yet we recognize that there have been good men uh, on uh, both sides of many of these conflicts, of World War II and World War I and uh, the Civil War and even the War for American uh, Independence, the First War. And Father, we... 
I pray that You would help us to not be blind to the characteristics that we can emulate, to be like David, to be like uh, Robert E. Lee, uh, who was able, uh, by Your grace, uh, to trust You, to never grow bitter, and to, and to learn, even from his enemies, of things that he could imitate. We love You, Father. We want to have... Uh, uh, a good Memorial Day that will honor and glorify Your name. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.